Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Old Warlock. I'm Alex. I'm Jim. And today we're gonna we're just trying something new. You know, we wanted to really give it a go at podcasting. And and it is so new that we have no idea really what we're doing. We, so yeah, we don't really know how to act us. here. No, we don't. We're not we're not looking at the camera. We're not playing off the camera. This okay, is I, the thing is I'm looking at the camera. So yeah, I can't help it. Yeah, this is this this is this is new territory for us. So bear with us. And uh, hopefully you'll like how this turns out. Now, there could be a technological glitch that's going to spring itself on us. Yeah. And this may be just one utter complete failure. And you're, well, you'll never, never hear it. Yeah. That's, so could be what happens. Fingers but. are crossed. But you know what? We'll see what happens. Um, so first thing we wanted to talk about today. Today. Yeah. Our first segment is going to be called. Uh, no, no, no. Here, before we go there. Yeah. It's just almost the first of the year. It is. We're getting close. I wanted to talk about Christmas. Let's talk about Christmas a little bit. What'd yeah. you get for Christmas? What? Well, actually, what Dungeons and Dragons themes themed items? Okay, because I could have gone on. Did you get for Christmas? Yeah. Well, um, I my my wonderful wife got me the Art and Arcana, Arcana, Arcana. I'm going with Arcana. I think it's Arcana. It's arcane stuff, but it's Arcana. I'm going to oh. go with Art and Arcana. Um, she got me the D and D Art and Arcana Visual History, the second one, the the really you know expensive one, yeah. which is actually really really cool. It's sitting here on the table with us. It, it's got all kinds of stuff on it, uh, in it, uh, especially related to the old school things that I actually that I love a great deal. But it, the good part about this is that it gives a lot of in-depth information about some of the early artists, uh -huh. which I have had a hard time tracking down over the years. But it's all in this book, so yeah, I'm you, excited. We, all of us here, you have passed it on to me and to Zachary, who's uh, really the artist of our group. Um, the art in the D and D books has always been something that we've been huge fans of, yeah. uh, one way or another. If it's the books or or the supplements or whatever else, it's it's kind of a it's a fun addition to the fantasy game aspect of it. We've yeah. always loved the the art. No, yeah, and the art is it's it's always had something to. I mean, I can remember remember I can remember way back when I first got the uh, AD and D Player's Handbook. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that art is still in my head just because it, it was a it was art that you hadn't actually seen back at that time and mm. so it was really evocative of a of a D, &D fantasy campaign setting and I, it still is something that if i look at it to this day uh, it still it still has the way has, it still has a way of firing me up to go and, and jump into an rpg with some dice yeah i mean it's it's all very iconic stuff that i'm sure that a lot of you people who are hopefully listening um <laughs> remember uh but yeah it's 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 important for everybody's experience with Dungeons and Dragons, I think whatever so. edition you yeah, play, the, so. the art that you find in the books is very important. And I think that we'll we we probably need to do. I mean, we've talked about it uh, in a blog on our website, but I think that we also need to maybe do a video yeah. on some of the early artwork. Side note that that just made me think of for those of you who have gone to our website recently, you may have noticed that we haven't done anything with it, written any <sighs> blog posts in something around two years now. So we're sorry about that. We want to get back into writing blogs. Um, this is just taking more time than we thought it was going to take. Yeah, we just can't make any promises as to when that will be. So no, but just check back. Yeah, you know, check back. keep looking at the website. We appreciate you going there. Uh, so anyway, what else? What else did you get for Christmas? Well, here? you know, I was going to ask you what. What did you get? Well, I I, I got a few very fun things. Um, you and the rest of the people that we traditionally traditionally play with uh, have these great dice mats. Yes, that uh, are you know, kind of like mouse pads, but are a lot bigger and just cover the space in front of you. Right. Uh, with art from Magic the Gathering on them, which... Which uh, is pretty good stuff. Which is great stuff. We don't really talk about Magic the Gathering that often. I don't think we've ever mentioned it on the channel. We, just, not, we just did, but We yeah. just did. It's, 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 it's not something we play a lot, but, you know, some of the cards from the original game, at least, are pretty iconic. And uh, so, you well, guys... Which one did you get? I got the Ice Wraith on mine which nice. was which was very cool nice. but uh big thank you to everybody who went out and made sure that i got one of those so i didn't feel excluded from the group it was very kind of you and i really appreciate it so that would be bill billy and calvin yeah um <laughs> <laughs> sorry off camera we have a director who's trying to communicate something to us i have no idea what it is so i'm we're not just entirely gonna, sure what we're just going they, to them are it. trying to tell us but yeah um but no, it, it was a great gift, and I'm very excited to use it. We'll all have Magic the Gathering dice pads yeah. now, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, though, that's that's really one of my big things. Did you get anything else cool? You know, that's that's that was my big D and D thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I got some other cool stuff, but yeah, the D and D thing, the Art and Arcana was was uh, very welcome. It's yeah, a good thing. People 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 know us pretty well and tend to get us Dungeons and Dragons themed items. Yeah, so we got a few, but those are those are some of the highlights. Um, yeah, well, let's, but you know, just just to let people know, if you've watched our our uh, YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Uh, we decided that we would change our, I guess not our style necessarily, but maybe our format a little bit since we've decided to try one of these podcasts. Mm -hmm. So those of you who might be looking for a one subject coverage, may, you, know, you might be used to us looking at um, something that came out of a, a Dragon Magazine. Uh, we had a video about a man by the name of Joe Fisher, who was a really early DM. Yeah. Um, we, we were kind of following along in just one one subject, and we thought that with these podcasts, we might try to do a number of different small subjects in the course of the podcast, in, yeah. in the course of each podcast. Instead of 20-minute videos about one thing, you know. Uh, Maybe a little bit longer video, about three or four yeah, things. exactly. And we had talked about... Um, Maybe having these be recurring segments, not in necessarily in every one of these podcasts, if we continue doing this. But um, yeah, we thought that we would we would mix it up just a little bit. And if one of the things that's very important in the in this whole podcast that we're podcast thing we're putting together is we need to hear from you guys. Uh, if this is something that you're interested in, if you like the way that this is working out, let us know. If you don't like it and you want us to go back to the earlier format, you know, we'll if we get enough responses uh, asking for that, maybe we'll do that too. So you know, and we'll. Go ahead. And from sorry, so from from him saying that, I don't want you guys to think that we are going to stop making the YouTube videos in any capacity. No, no, no. We're, we're no, going to no, continue no. doing those. Those are a lot um, of fun. in the form that we've been doing that you guys seem to really like, um, as well as some ex expansions with the type of videos that we make there. But we just wanted to add this in as well, uh, just sort of as a different format, a different way to consume what we're talking about. Uh, yeah, if you're interested. Yeah, we're not going to. We, we will not be stopping the the actual videos because there's a we can do a lot of kind of fun stuff. Yeah, uh, with those, so we're not going to give those up. But so let's move on. Let's move on. The first uh, segment that we would like to introduce to you guys is called the dungeon. The dungeon. Going into the dungeon. Um, what we really want to do here is we want to just kind of take a random monster from un Advanced Dungeons and Dragons somewhere, kind of look at it, pick it at random in the moment, and talk about it. Uh, what our thoughts are, uh, things like that, and then we want to do the same thing with a magical item here in a minute so and maybe maybe it'll be a couple of magic items maybe it'll be no magic items and we're two just monsters. gonna go where we're, the music we're just takes us. this so, exactly yeah um but yeah let's let's see where we're let's let's head down to the dungeon So we have here an uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons original monster manual, and we are just going to select a random thing out of it and talk about it a little now, bit. Now, should we just do this randomly, or should we just open it up at random, put my finger in and find something, or should we start with the very first monster and work our way through? I say we just pick a random thing. Let's do random. Let's do a random Let's thing. Let's do random. Okay. Doing, so going random here. Thumb through here a little bit, and... Oh, good oh, choice. Whoa. It doesn't was, get more this quintessential was, than this. This was not planned. Uh, what we're looking at is the Red Dragon. That is what came up. Page 33 of the original AD&D Monster Manual. Mm -hmm. Great monster. Um, the classic monster. And, and this we, is Dungeons it's, 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 and what? Dragons. Exactly. This is the dragon of the D&D um, moniker there. But the we've talked about the Red Dragon before. We have. We have some pretty passionate opinions. We do, uh, you know that, and I, I, I. Some people might say that we've been too heavily influenced by something like The Hobbit, but really, Which, you know, judging by those of you who are looking at the video version, the background of what we're filming, it's possible that we have been. But really, at the end of the day, we I had I had changed my Red Dragon to be something much more powerful than the AD&D Red Dragon, uh, long before The Hobbit came out in in video. Uh, because really, when you get down to it, you know, you've got, let's take, let's just run real quickly down the, the uh, statistics of this creature. Uh, Red Dragon, I love the fact that it is Drago Conflagratio Horribilis, which to me is, you know, look at me in my Latin. That's, yeah. But I love the fact that they gave those, uh, those names to it back mm -hmm. in the day. But with a Red Dragon, you're looking at armor class negative one, which I don't really believe is powerful enough. 
Um, I'm thinking Not actually, at all. No. I'm thinking actually more around the area of about negative four. When you have a creature that is nine to eleven hit dice, there are some some pretty common creatures that run into that area. So I've actually. I mean, nine would give you a max of what? 72? Max of 72. Hit points? Look at yeah, that math. Look at you. So that's not a ton. It really isn't. Uh, so really that, to, in my campaign, has always been tripled because this monster needs to be something that it is very difficult to hit. And it also needs to be moved as far up that, that two hit on the, the uh, monster attack table as, mm -hmm. it, as it can possibly be. Absolutely. Then you move to the damage per attack. One to eight, one to eight, three to 30. Again, one to eight, you know, that's like the equivalent of a longsword. And that's, uh, to me, that's just not enough. That doesn't seem to take into account the enormity of what these are and the strength, the strength. that they would have exactly. when dealing some of the attacks that, that they would be. That is exactly what I'm seeing. And then, uh, you know, so one to eight, one to eight, and then three to 30 on the, the attack with its jaws. Again, that, you know, it's something, you know, I understand that maybe occasionally it'll be snapping at you and it won't make too much damage. But when it actually connects in a big way, I'd love to see that 90 hit point damage for that thing. That, when it that'll comes in. rip you in too. Yeah, that's. So, yeah, I, I, I just triple all those mm -hmm. as well. Um, special attacks, the breath weapon, you know, that's, that's okay. But again, it's, it's something that is, uh, I've tried to bump up as much as possible. Yeah. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, it's, that's the biggest issue that I've had with, with the Red Dragon is that it hasn't been powerful enough. But. Since I have bumped it up and essentially tripled its strength, moving into my campaign with the Red Dragon, you can't, with that kind of a Red Dragon that's that powerful, you can't have very many of them. Uh, no. This allows you, according to the AD&D Monster Manual, you've got number appearing one to four. I have, at this point, I have two in my entire Well, that, world. you have two ancient Red Dragons. Uh, sorry, good point, good point. Two ancient Red Dragons in my entire campaign. Yeah, serving as sort of, I've personally never encountered them, thank God, but... Uh, serving as sort of Smaug-ish, yeah, right, exactly. type dragons. Right. I think that I think that if you want sort of a visual representation of what we're talking about, for those of you who have seen or uh, read The Hobbit, especially seen the movies that have come out, that's kind of what you mean when you say that's ancient it. red dragon. That right. size and enormity of dragon yeah. of monster. But no, I so yeah, just uh, for those of you who are uh, interested in these AD and D monsters, you know the Red Dragon, good place to start. Yeah. Um, but just keep in mind that, uh, as Gary Gygax said from a long time ago, you need to tinker with these rules to to fit your campaign, and that's exactly what I've done here with the Red Dragon. So. Yeah. Anyway, Red Dragon, great monster, great way to start. Great way to start. It is on the cover of the book, so it's the quintessential monster out of the monster manual. Big fans of that. Um, let's move on here. Uh, and kind of just take a look in one of the, what we're going to do is take a look in one of the four Encyclopedia Magica books that we have and choose a, how, what's the number? How many random? As I remember, it's, it's somewhere in the hundreds of thousands. It, with the, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Encyclopedia Magica, they, back in, I want to say it was 1992, I think. These are AD&D second edition books. Someone took it upon themselves at TSR to put together a compilation of every magic item that had ever been mentioned in any of the games, any of the manuals, any issues of the Dragon Magazine, um, any of the um, other supplemental materials that had come about for D&D. They tried to gather it all up and put it together into a four-volume set. Mm -hmm. Now... What happens though is you can there are random generation tables inside of these manuals, which are really cool, and and I want to say that you can actually get copies of this in a PDF form on Drive Through RPG, but I'm not I, positive. I'm about sure that you that. can. We are not sponsored at all by Drive Through RPG, but now we just want you to find cool absolutely. Stuff. You should go and check it out. Great website. But with the random generation tables uh, in these books, they also allow you to assign certain characteristics to different weapons. And when you combine all of these, I mean, there are just no end of magic items in here, but when you combine those random different effects that each item may or may not have, you end up getting, according to the books, well over 100,000 unique items And if you, if you yeah. look into these books in any depth. Uh, I love these things. They're, sometimes you know, some of the, the magic items are, are kind of common everyday things. But sometimes they've got a really bunch of, of inter a real great bunch of inter interesting information attached to what's in the book, 
uh, that makes it a real easy thing for you to slot into your campaign. Absolutely. So what we're going to do here is we are just going to take, you want to take it out of the take, take, first take, book let's, here? Let's do that. Just We are going to open the first volume to a random page. We land on page, is it 1,005? That's not page 1,000. That is page 1,512 of the four book series. Of, yeah, of the... Of this volume four that we're starting with, my bad. So yeah, one page one thousand five hundred twelve of the series. Um, you're not doing that randomly. You're right. Let's start no. this over. Go, Let's yeah. start this over. We got, okay. If we say random, we got to be random. We got to be random. Okay, we're gonna open it up here, and we're gonna put a finger right there. There you go. There you go. Uh, okay. Ooh, this is interesting. So we're now on page one thousand three hundred twenty-seven of the four book series. My apologies, and we have ran landed on the Olam. Uh, let me see. Yes, this is the an Olam harp. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, if an Olam harp is played by any non-bard or bard under 25 level inflicts. Oh, wow. So this is out of the original Dungeon Master's Guide. It is. Um, or it might be second edition Dungeon Master's Guide. I'm not exactly sure. One of the two, but it's a, uh, it's, it's a musical instrument. It's a harp. Um, and there, when you look at these, one of the interesting things is this is wow. in the stringed instruments uh, section of the books. It is. Let's, you want me to just read through this? Absolutely. This is this is something impressive. Okay, so the experience points value for experience point value for gathering for gaining one of these is three thousand. Mm -hmm. uh, they're worth about eighteen thousand gold pieces. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. If an Olam heart is harp uh, is played by any non-bard or bard under twentieth level, it inflicts ten d four points of damage upon that individual. So be careful when you pick up a harp. If you, you don't better know how to be play one it. heck of a musician if you're going to pick this bad boy up. When played by a bard of twentieth or higher level, it adds forty percent to his or her charming abilities. Wow! And can cast each one of the following spells daily. I'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. If the bard's charming ability exceeds one hundred percent with the instrument with the instrument's bonus, the creature saving against the magic does so at a minus one for every five percent above one hundred percent. Wow! Here are, the, here are the spells that you can cast once a day. Mm -hmm. You can do confusion once a day. You can control weather once a day. Firestorm once a day. Wow. Um, any character able to play this instrument can sing and do one of the following for as many turns as the character has levels. Uh, you can get protection from evil, 10-foot radius, become invisible, although the strumming and singing can still be heard distantly. The exact location is impossible to, to discover unless detection of invisibility is possible. You, are all, you also have the ability of levitation, and you can also fly. Wow. So, yeah. For those of you who play bard characters, uh, if you've come across the Harp of Olam, this is something you, you're to lucky folks. Seek out. Now, I will say here uh, that the 20th level limitation is something that I'm not a huge fan of. I agree. Um, I agree. In, we've kind of discussed this briefly before, but in the way that we play Dungeons & Dragons, while it is in the manuals that you can get to a really high level, we especially you really don't allow characters to get past sixth, seventh. No, level. I, I think that I've never had anyone come close to 20th level. No. Um, I mean, I think that we had someone who made it to ninth level at I mean, one point. My highest character in your world has gotten to sixth level. Yeah. That's the max. And that's playing four years or so. Five oh, years, that's playing even longer than that. Almost 12. Wow. 11 years, something like that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, the big, the big belief that we've always kind of had, especially you when people play in your world, is that um, there always has to be that fear that something out there can still kill you. Yeah. And we kind of think that if you get past that sixth, seventh level, if you hit level 10 anywhere in there, then you become pretty unreasonably powerful. And there's not a whole lot that you can logically right. be afraid of killing your character. And we think that that kind of removes a lot of the appeal of the game. Yeah. Um, if that threat of being killed by anything that you might come across, what, what, what does it say within a 20 mile radius or something? There's always something that can kill you. Five miles, five mile radius, which is even worse. I'd like to point that out within five miles of where you are at any given time. There's something that he says can kill you. And it depends on the character. Sometimes it's 10, you know, who, who knows? Yeah. But, but yeah, chances are there's something within five miles that can kill you. Uh, but, but to use that, you, 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 bring up a really good point. I mm -hmm. think to, to talk about that, that harp, that's something that I would have to alter because I would love to have it somehow in my campaign. Yeah. But I would, uh, it's a little bit too powerful for me. It, that, that's a, that's a dangerous thing. That it is. A lot and with that. Now, if I, if I were to actually make that available to a character and I would have no problem doing it, but mm -hmm. it would probably be for a limited amount of time. 
Yeah. Um, or I would remove some of the, the spell abilities, maybe make that levitation and fly and, and whatever else. Um, I might make those available once a week as opposed to once a day, simply yeah. because I would want the character who had the harp to have to think really hard about, is this the time that I use this ability or should I save it for something that might happen in three days time? Yeah. So I, I would put some, some caveats on, on whether or not that, um, I would put some caveats on the, the powers of that, uh, of, on the powers of that harp, just mm -hmm. to make sure that it didn't get, make the character too powerful and put things out of balance. But on the other side of that uh, coin, I think that it is kind of important to talk about how. Stop hitting the table. <laughs> so we've been told to stop hitting we've the table. We've been told to yeah, keep our hands off the table a little bit. Um, but I think that it, anyway, back to what we were saying, I think that it is important to kind of talk about the significance of having magical items that are not swords or spears good, good or shields yeah. or helmets or whatever else. There's a lot of ways uh, in the in this game that magic can be applied to things that isn't necessarily uh, combat-oriented or isn't necessarily geared towards fighter-class characters. Well, and I, I think that we've talked about that on a couple of occasions. One of my favorites is the um, one of the videos that we did about Joe Fisher where he talks about the magical pipeweed. Yes, absolutely. Um, to me, that's that's a just a classic... Using magic in creative ways. Right. It, it's, a, it's a classic use of the concept of magic mm -hmm. that hopefully your players might not even suspect the first time it comes down the pipe toward them. No, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Any comments you guys have on this, let us know. Uh, we, we're always good about uh, wanting to hear what your favorite items that might be down in your dungeon Absolutely. Uh, are. So, yeah, send us an email or get in touch with us however you want. Let us know what you think of either this this harp or the Red the, Dragon the Red or, Dragon. or uh, anything else that you have an interest in that you want to share. Share it with us. We'd love to hear it. We surely would. Well, let's take a step back out of the dungeon. Let's, let's get out of the dungeon and let's go talk about something else. What should we move on to now? We've got a couple of a couple of choices here. We have we could go and talk about a new game, or actually a new old game that we've started playing. That's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Or we could move to a segment that I like to call, or I want to call, the Dragon, where I've gone back and uh, decided that we should take a look at some of the early editions of the Dragon and some of the interesting things that can be found there if you're interested in the history of D and D. The Dragon Magazine, to clarify. Yes. Um, Sure, we could hop into that and then close out with a little bit of game information. Let's do that. All right. I think that's a good idea. So, what I did, or what I've been doing, is looking at the precursor to the Dragon Magazine. But it's a, it's a magazine that was put out by TSR called The Strategic Review. And this came out in the summer of 19, oh no, the spring of 1975. And it was a, kind of a short uh, little publication. Mm -hmm. And the first one is, it's interesting to look at this because the very first magazine is still dealing very heavily with the war games that TSR is putting it out. Yeah. Right. So you've got Dungeons and Dragons mentioned, but there's still, an, there's an awful lot of other information related to, as I said, War games like um, tank battle games. Um, there's some information about, let's see here. So would this be more box edition, uh, basic Dungeons and Dragons? Definitely discussing is. In this? It definitely is. <clears throat> We've got a couple of different interesting things here. One is, they, they've, they've, it's like they weren't quite sure what information they wanted to include uh -huh. in this very early edition. But one of the things that they do talk about is they have a section called Creature Feature where they introduced the Mind Flayer. And I mean, we're all familiar with the Mind Flayer now, but this is probably one of the first places that it appeared. Yeah. I can't remember right offhand if it's in the original D&D books, uh, the first publications or not, but it is mentioned here in Strategic Review. This Again, this is spring of 1975. Mm -hmm. They talk about the Mind Flayer. There is another interesting thing here that 
is available in some other locations and some of the other publications that TSR put out. Uh, it's for solo dungeon adventuring. Oh. And this is a special first issue feature, the Solo Dungeon Adventure by Gary Gygax, with special thanks to George A. Lord, uh, preliminary testing, Rob Kunst, and Ernest Gygax. Uh, but it gives you a way that you can create a dungeon all on your own. This goes by rolling dice. Oh, yes. And as you make your way through, you add things to a table, a graph, uh, uh, a graph sheet. You just a roll. sheet of graph paper, I guess is what I should say. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like you roll a percent to turn left type thing. Well, in the and, and most of this, there are percents in here. There are also twenty sided die rolls. There are twelve sided die rolls, things like that. So, you know, turns you roll a five, you turn left forty five degrees ahead. So, you know, there's a lot of different stuff that they've kind of worked into this. We tried this um, a while back, and I remember. I, I yeah. don't remember it working all that well. I think it was a little bit overcomplicated i think it was working practically yep um you know i think that it's a fantastic idea because there are times you know when i've wanted to play D and don't have anybody available to play with sure. at that sure. point in time so i think that the concept would be great um but yeah it was a little bit this original thing that they put out was a little bit too complex yeah i think they were going a bit too far yeah they wanted i understand where they were trying to go with it but i don't know that it ever really caught on all that well yeah. which is a shame uh, it's it's a it could have been a really neat thing. Yeah, because if it could be given another go and rewritten, then I think it could work really well. Because it is, again, a great idea. But I wonder uh, if there's anybody out there who's actually done that. I, I bet there is. I, if there is, and you guys know about it, please uh, let us know. Or if you have personally come up with a way to do this, then yeah, be sure to let us know. Because we love the idea, because there's yeah. not always time when you have a lot of people who you can sit down and play with. But anyway, uh, strategic review number one, that's really about all, that's primarily all there is D&D related. Mm -hmm. But let's move on to strategic review volume uh, volume one, number two, which came out in the summer of 1975. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a, a sad thing here uh, at the very beginning of this one, and it's a box that says, In Memoriam. Mm. Uh, it says, This issue is dedicated to the memory of Donald R. K., co-founder of Tactical Studies Rules, TSR. Mm -hmm. Longtime friend and fellow war gamer, Don was born 27 June 1938 and died 31 January 1975. We deeply mourn his parting. This is really important because Don Kay was one of the primary, uh, was one of the main people who put together TSR back in the day. Mm. And it was his, as I remember it, it was his funding that really got TSR off the ground. Oh, yes. Okay. But the sad part is, uh, just when D&D &D was starting to kind of roll out of the TSR factory, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, for lack of a better phrase, uh, he died unexpectedly. That's uh, a... he, he just he wasn't terribly old. But uh, apparently, from what I've read, it had a, a really profound effect on Gary Gygax and some of the other folks that were involved with, uh, yeah, with the, initial, um, the initial creation of, of TSR. Yeah. But the, the the magazine, anyway, it goes on, again, this is summer 1975, it goes on to talk about, uh, again, you've got your, your typical war games. So you're looking at things like uh, Napoleonic naval campaigns. You've got all these different things such as two hit tables for combat in Cavaliers and Roundheads. You've got a thing called Wargaming World. Uh, it says here, convention season is upon us, and from now until autumn, we'll be barraged with information about and regularly importuned to attend them. So there's just, this is one of those newsletters. Of, there were several at the time, I can tell you from experience. There were quite a well, more than several. There were quite a few mm -hmm. that talked about things like where you could go to attend a convention, what kind of games were new that were available yeah. for sale. So if you if you really were into any kind of wargaming or if you started uh, your D&D &D back there in mid-1975, having something like this could direct you to a lot of products. It could direct you to a lot of co-players. We'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I, I remember that as well. Um, they've got a section on questions most frequently asked about Dungeons & Dragons rules. We've also got some more monsters. Another creature feature here. This is introducing the Roper. And then this is, we've talked about this in one of our other videos where an exciting new Dungeons and Dragons class is being presented here by Joe Fisher. The Ranger is, uh, a, is first addressed here in episode two. I always say that whenever we're talking about this. Yeah. Episode two in, in uh, number two of uh, Strategic Review. Yeah. He also goes, there's a section here about medieval pole arms. If you go through the AD&D 
purchasing list, you'll see things talked about like the Volge and the uh, Bardiche and the Glavegus Army. Well, you've got drawings of those things here in this early edition of Strategic Review. And these are possibly some of the most overlooked aspects, I think, of Dungeons and Dragons. You've got the whole uh, pricing out in the Shopper's Guide and the Player's Handbook, but um, people want to wield a sword or a mace or something like that. But I think that this is kind of an attempt by the creators of the game to instill a little bit of historic realism in right. what was going on. Um, you know, most of the people fighting in a battlefield didn't have swords. They had things like these, these kinds of pole arms. Um, From... Yeah, basically sharp sticks or sharp sticks with a with a cool piece of metal pointed thing on the piece end. of metal yeah. on the end of it, right? That are used in a lot of, a lot of different ways, and so I would absolutely recommend checking out. There's also uh, charts in the back of is it Unearthed Arcana? With there, all of these? Unearthed Arcana has a lot of this information. I I think that Unearthed Arcana was largely just a compilation of Gary Gygax's information that he had made available. Yeah. Um, over the years, either in players handbooks or publications that he made either you know through tsr or there were things that he had written about at various places yeah uh a quick description here the glaive army we've joked about the glaive army we are for huge years. fans of the glaive army <laughs> but he, he writes it out here the glaive army was another combination weapon herein the sword-like blade of the glaive was thickened somewhat to resemble the bill type weapon a bill hook mm -hmm. yeah you have a bill hook you're gosh darn right I do. Check our Instagram page. There's a picture of me holding it. We need to hit you out there and hack something. To it's true, it. we do. Um, to this thickened blade was added a hook. The Glaive Gassarme closely resembles the Gassarme Volge, but the basic form of the first is the sword, while that of the latter is the cleaver. Length eight feet and upward. So there's a little bit of a description here to give a little bit of life to what yeah. these weapons actually were. Yeah. Um, and they're all very different and had very different uses and practicalities to them. So if you can find anybody else talking about this more in depth, absolutely do. Because we've tried to incorporate pole arms a little bit more, and we think that you should too. Yeah, yeah. And it's and there's actually some – there are some real techniques for using this and when you would use it and why absolutely. you would use it. And it was a skilled thing. So, yeah, don't don't overlook the Glaive Gasarmi. Swords are fun, but there's other things out there too. There's also a these again. If you're interested in the history of this, and this is you know I can go on about this for days. Trust me, I won't. It's going to be okay. <laughs> but there's a listing in here for Gen Con Eight, another big three day event, Friday, August 26th. It has a listing of all the uh, the places that it's going to take place. Horticultural Hall, 330 Broad Street, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, and then it gives you the telephone number of Gary Gygax to give him a call so that you can put in your you can get your tickets or you can mm. uh, schedule to have your booth set up somehow. Uh, what that uh, must have been like. I, I well, that's the thing. This is. What's interesting to me about this when I read through these old editions of these magazines mm -hmm. is that everything is taking place on such a personal level. Absolutely. The fact that I could have called Gary Gygax, it's even, you know, the number is still here. I wonder who's who has this number now. Yeah. But it, it just talks about things like you're talking to a friend of yours down the street as yeah. opposed to a huge multinational company now that, you know, Wizards of the Coast is. Yeah. It's just a, a completely different world that we're looking at here. It's a listen. It's a it's a it's a real shot in the dark. I know, but if any of you did happen to f call Gary Gygax using one of these things, we would love oh, to yeah. hear about it. Oh yeah, oh we would love to talk to you. Yeah. That would be so much fun. You have you have lived our dream. That's so. right. That's right. Um, we'll move that anyway. So just those are the kinds of things that are in this early, these early magazines here. But I want to do one more. Okay. To show that. Really what's going on just in the in the year 1975, from spring to autumn, there's a real shift beginning from the, the, the very beginning was more war game focused with Dungeons and Dragons, but then it makes a switch and you start getting a lot more Dungeons and Dragons focus. Popularity with, ratchets up it, a That's bit. it. Yeah. That is what's happening. The, anyway, autumn 1975, a lot of this, a lot of this particular edition is turned over to the creature features when before you had one maybe two mm -hmm. well in this one creature features presenting new dungeons and dragons monsters for your enjoyment we have the yeti nice. we have the shambling mound introduced <laughs> we have the ghost one of my favorites we have the naga the Windwalker, the leprechaun the shrieker the piercer and the lurker above i mean all critical things from i think those are all in the original monster manual right um you know introduced for the first time here and that's really 
a fascinating thing that it wasn't in these early editions of the books it was in these magazines and i, and I need to make sure i i would i would want to go back and look at the zero edition um books to make sure but you know some of these might have been mentioned yeah. I, I don't know but i think you're right i think most of these this is where they were introduced and then they made their way into the AD&D monster. But, but again, I mean, a little crossover to what we were talking about earlier with the art. When you say the names of these things, like the Shrieker and the Piercer and whatever else, I have oh yeah, it perfectly in my mind an image of what the little picture of it, That's it. is next to it. That's it. Um, so yeah, it, it all ties together, which is great. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a continuum here. Mm -hmm. uh, they, and then they have a small bit here about the Battle of the Ebro River in 5mm Napoleonic. So this is definitely tabletop wargaming. Yeah. For those of you who are unfamiliar with tabletop wargaming, think um, Warhammer. Warhammer, yeah, that's the descendant of these tabletop games. Yeah, but then they there's something else that's really interesting to me. Uh, they have moved to something. They, they have they've inserted a section here called the Gallery of Gunfighters, the art of gunfighting. And the interesting thing about this is this is where they first start talking about Boot Hill. Yes. Which was another role-playing game that went that was published kind of contemporarily with contemporarily contemporaneously at the same time as Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. So in this article, and this is part one, and I haven't read this all the way through yet. They start talking about the different things that you do, that you will do with um, your gunslinger in TSR's Boot Hill. Yeah. So again, you're seeing new role-playing games being worked in and a much and much less emphasis being placed on the actual war games, the, the tabletop war games that TSR uh, was known for. Yeah, absolutely. Mapping the dungeons. This is another really interesting section of this particular edition. Mm-hmm. And what it is, is they are talking about players and DMs who are wanting to connect somehow to be able to play together. And then they also talk about some of the games that the folks at TSR were playing. There's a really interesting <laughs> section here. Um, there's a man by the name of Rick Schwall. I'm not going to give his address. He may still live there, but he's from Illinois. Who's to say, yeah. Uh, he's offering a tremendous service for solo D&D players. He will exchange sealed envelopes with anyone who so wishes, or he will provide numerous surprises, tricks and traps, envelopes, etc. in envelopes at 25 cents per, uh, 25 cents each. We have seen, seen samples of his work, and it is excellent. We highly recommend Rich to all of you. Well, Rich is just out there sending people his ideas for 25 cents. Go, Rich. Rich. That's right. Yeah. That's it. Uh, but then we have a, Something in here that's related to Dave Arneson. Uh, Dave the Fiend Arneson relates the following. We had an interesting game this weekend in preparation for the great super Nazi confrontation. A band of heroes went through the old teleporter, and after mucking around a while doing various things, the locals sent the police and army after them. It ended up that what happened was they did a role-playing situation where they went back to World War II and mm -hmm. took on the Germans. Yeah. So uh, there's a whole list here of what happened. The great Svenny, Marty the Elf, Richard the Harry, and five berserkers took on <laughs> 25 soldiers with two cars, two trucks, four light machine guns, two mortars, and the usual bevy of small arms. And then it goes into a, a whole description here as to how this entire encounter took place. Absolutely. And then there's the... D we'll finish it up here with a couple more. The D&D &D Game Masters and Clubs, which feature D&D, &D. has a listing of people that you can contact in your area. Hopefully, there are only about 12 mm -hmm. uh, to go in and play a game or to join in. Advertising. Sort of a, an early database That's it. for Dungeons & Dragons players. That's it. Um, and then I'll finish this with what I th another thing that I find to be really interesting, and that is the product list of mm -hmm. TSR. And you're looking at Dungeons and Dragons, Sword and Sorcery Wargaming with paper and pencil and miniatures, three booklets boxed, ten bucks. I challenge you to find one of those books, Good those, those boxes Lord. nowadays for ten dollars. Uh, Greyhawk, a supplement to Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. uh, I did pick this up for five dollars, and that's how much it's really? listed for here. I picked it up for five bucks back wow. in the day. You could still pick up chain mail for five dollars. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to find chain mail for under two hundred fifty, three hundred on really eBay. Really expensive now. Uh, yeah. On eBay, email, mm -hmm. email, email, eBay. You know what I'm saying? You got it. Yeah, it's fine. And Boot Hill selling here for five bucks. But anyway, that's uh, a quick look at the early versions of the Strategic Review. We'll go and uh, we'll probably be pulling some other articles, maybe getting a little more in depth on one particular 
subject in some of these magazines as we move forward with this, but I thought you might find it interesting to hear kind of what was going on around 1975 and the development of Dungeons and Dragons as, as is evidenced through these magazines. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all important history with this stuff and just understanding how the game kind of grew and changed with time, I think is really important. Yeah. But as you're talking about Boot Hill, have we played Boot Hill? That wasn't, we've, we've created our own Boot Hill in the past. Right. Um, I, I've, we have entered, okay, a couple of different things. I have introduced Boot Hill gunfighting into my campaign in the past. Yeah. But we have also played, um, it, it was it was Boot like Hill a, based game. Wasn't it a well? It was a top secret based game. No, we we did both. We've done both. Really, we had a Boot Hill game that was uh, cowboys and vampires. Well, that was one of the most fun things it I've was, ever done. It was the undead in the old west, and yeah. so yeah, we uh, we played that a couple of times, and that was that was actually a lot of fun. I'd like to get back and do that. We again. we need to fire that up another time. Yeah, uh, and then we've also done some use of in fact we've taken a lot of the rules out of tsr's top secret game yeah and kind of Which changed is, those into into uh, an easy adaptation for dnd yeah just the box set of top secret i don't think there was anything was there was there any supplements released beyond the original top secret box set? there were there except were except in the modern iteration the, yeah right it. but back in the day there were some uh, modules that came out for really? top secret we're gonna have to take a closer look at that because that's that's actually a fun game yeah, because I mean, I, I I think I've only ever played actual Top Secret one time, but a lot of these other games, as evidenced by the stuff they're talking about with Boot Hill, um, a lot of these other games were fantastic. Yeah. These these other iterations of different theming of role-playing, basically. Well, and then one of the other things that we did way, way back is, mm -hmm. and I think this is probably, there was probably a Star Wars influence <laughs> involved in this, was we... I've never played this, we, by the way. We took... Um, both my friend Brian and I, we both took rules from Top Secret and in my case, turned it into Stellar Hack and Slash. So it was just lifting all the rules for combat and movement and things out of Top Secret and then dropping it into a Star Wars-y setting. Yeah. And the the only issue that we ever had with that was that it always degenerated into just yeah, chaos. Good Lord. The but stories was... I have heard about corpses <laughs> being about old women being thrown, thrown down, down stairways and yeah, I think. But my, one of my favorites, one of my favorite comments, or one of my favorite statements by my buddy Brian back when he played, we were doing a, a Boot Hill type thing, and I, it might have been a, a like a Boot Hill D and D crossover. And so oh, yeah. Brian was trapped inside of a <laughs> was trapped inside of a barn and and uh, somebody with <laughs> the local sheriff or the marshal or whatever it was yelled at him to uh, throw out his his weapons and, and give himself up. And Brian's response was, yeah, I'll throw out my weapons. Bullets first. And it went from there. It was just chaos <laughs> from, from that point. On. That was the kind of player Brian could be on occasion. That's that was a lot of, of fun. The, that's one of those little. I don't know sayings, phrases. That I need to get that really on a T-shirt that really gets tossed around a yeah. lot, even when we're just yeah. playing D and D. Yeah. People figure out a way to work it in, yeah. but but no, I mean a lot of these other things that have been created by TSR or other people in these different themes are fantastic games in their own right, and I think they get overshadowed too much. I think you're right uh, at times by Dungeons and Dragons just because of its popularity, but Top Secret, um, Gangbusters, and that's we, something we've never played. Gangbusters. No. I would really. I've got the. I've got a copy, but we need to sit down and, and play a game of Gangbusters and do a report on that because I think it could be a lot of fun too. Yeah. It, I guess it just really depends on what your imagination is calling for. Exactly. I mean, when you're within Dungeons and Dragons, that might be all you want, but there could be other settings you want as well. So don't forget about some of these other things. These TSR products that, yeah. that were really pretty well developed and, and really good. But. But that's probably enough reminiscing there on that. I, the last thing we should talk about is probably a regular Pit. game. Yeah. Uh, I think that something we also want to do with these podcasts is maybe depart just slightly, not entirely, don't worry, from talking about exclusively Dungeons & Dragons. And we'd like to maybe talk about some other games that we like to play because we are also big fans of board games. Uh, not just tabletop RPGs, but actual board games, card games, whatever you want to call them. Uh, we have a lot that we really love to play. So, so we want to share some of those with you guys as and, well. And get 
and get people's input on what kind of games they find to be interesting right now. There are so many games being developed right now. It's remarkable. It, it's it's amazing to yeah. me uh, because there was kind of a dearth of games there 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I mean, you, you just didn't find that many, but now there are so many, especially with people being able to uh, produce things on an independent basis. Boy, there's just a ton of them out there, but wading through them and finding the ones yeah. that are actually good can be a tough thing sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you know, it seems like with Catan, which I have very mixed feelings about. Yes, we Catan, won't go into his feelings on um, Catan. It's, it's really just rejuvenated this whole, there are so many thousands right. of yeah. board games that have become popular that aren't things like Life and Monopoly. Uh, but yeah. But that's not to discount Life and Monopoly. Because I think that those can actually be some really fun games. I think they can be. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but we, we thought that we would talk about today a game called Pit. There, that oh, little bell it, is actually part of the game. It's part of it, yeah. But Pit is a, it's a, and again, for any of those of you who know me, you know I have a fascination with the history of these games. This was, Pit was created by Parker Brothers back in, I think it was 1904 was the first time that it came out and was published. And it is still published today under no end of different names. And there are a lot of ripoffs of it that have occurred over the years. But I was first introduced to Pitt when I was in second grade. I had a, a teacher. Name was, her name was Nancy Miller. Mm -hmm. And she was an amazing instructor. She used games a lot of the time to teach people math and teach people English skills. And Pitt was one of the ones that all of us second graders really wanted to play. Now, Pitt is not a hard game. It is over in probably 15 minutes. I have not had a copy of Pitt myself until recently, and I picked up an almost perfect copy of it uh, at a garage sale this yeah. last summer. But all you do with Pitt is you are you're pretending that you are a commodities trader. And so you're trying to get a corner on one particular uh, segment of the commodities market. And the commodities are grains. So you've got corn, you've got wheat, you've got barley, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then you and all of the other players, you simply start all at the same time trying to trade cards to get all of the barley or all of the wheat or all of the corn or whatever it might happen to be. It takes place really quickly. Very fast. There's there a lot of chaos. There aren't any turns in it. It's basically a free-for-all. It is. Um, essentially, the entire deck of cards is dealt out. Right. to uh the players with the types of come on with the types of the corn the wheat, that you're trading yeah. depending on how many players you have one per person um all those cards are dealt out to your players the bell, bell. is rung um and then essentially everybody just starts trading their cards i have three cards here who will trade me three cards trade me three trade, trade me three trade me three and then and it's forth. back and forth and yeah and the first person to get all nine of one variety of grain wins the game it's that simple, but it is a lot of fun. And there's also a bull card and a bear card. And if you're stuck with a bear card, you lose points at the end of it. So you're constantly trying yeah, to trade that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're constantly trying to trade that away, but you also want the bear card because it's almost like a wild card. Mm -hmm. or, I'm sorry, the, the bull card is almost like a wild card. Trade away the bear, keep the bull. But the uh, each, each one of the different grains is worth a certain amount of points. Mm -hmm. And then the first person to get to 500 points wins the game. Yeah. It is got it has a total of maybe ten paragraphs or five paragraphs worth of instructions all yeah. on a half eight and a half by eleven sheet. The inter interesting thing though mm -hmm. about Pitt mm -hmm. is that it was developed by a man named Edgar Casey. For those of you who don't know who Edgar Casey is, Edgar Casey most people don't yeah. <laughs> but edgar casey was a spiritualist he was a um, somebody who believed that he could talk to the dead he was someone who he, he, a lot of people consider him to be the father of new age thinking hmm. and um edgar casey was he has a lot of writings that are really interesting a lot of predictions he's kind of a nostradamus of the late 1800s and early 1900s but when he won, at one point he was down on his luck and he decided that what he needed to do was develop a game. And so he is actually the person who invented Pitt. He sold the idea to Parker Brothers and they've been producing it ever since. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, with a lot of these things, they're important parts of history and popular culture right. that get overlooked a lot of the time. If, and, you know, it's impossible to deny the impact that some of these things have had. Well, and like I say, I played Pitt when I was in second grade and 
I have loved the game ever since, and I can't. I have to imagine that there are quite a other, quite a few other people who have always enjoyed this game too, because it is still being produced. What a hundred and almost one hundred and twenty years later, yeah. uh, after its first release. So, it, uh, it, but it really is a great game. If you see a copy of it, grab it. If you've or, ever played it, or get it, one of the new versions. Know. Get yeah. one of the new versions. Um, it's a it's a simple game that's fun for the whole family, as evidenced by. The fun, happy little family on the <laughs> here on the cover. Here on the cover, of the game right there. Yep, at least you can if you're looking at the if, video. If you're watching the video, yeah. But anyway, Pitt. I just thought it would be a fun thing to talk about. Yeah, no, it's a, you know, we love historic, historic, I guess, games like this. Classic, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think you kind like of this. have to look at it that way. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot of mechanics that from these older games that get introduced into later things, things like not having turns and stuff like that, but. Thought we'd good, share it with you. Good stuff. We thought we would share. Let us know if you have any other games similar to Pit that you're interested in. Absolutely. And if you've played Pit, let us know what you think about it. But aside from that, I, I think we're about done here. I think we're good for, for now. That's a good first ever podcast. I want to I want to go in and see if we can actually uh, I want to go in and see if we actually hit the record button before we started. Fingers crossed we did. I've been checking. Been it looks nothing. like the computer's running, but who's to say? Um, also very quickly, I would like to give a quick shout out to, uh, our friend Bill from Greece. Oh yeah. We put up a 45, 46 second little video talking about on the YouTube channel, talking about, Hey, we're going to do this. Keep your eyes open for it. And quick as you, quick as you please, Bill Bill's responded there. and said, Hey, good luck to you guys. Hope you do great. So thanks for the support, Bill. Yeah. Um, we really appreciate it and hopefully you listen and you liked it. Yep. So. Let us know. And if you, if you hated it, be gentle. Yeah. We're delicate. That's all right. Uh, mm -hmm. But we've also got, keep in mind, uh, if you're interested in some of the things, we uh, Zachary, our, our uh, tech guy. Who yelled at us for the table. He does that from time to time. He yells at us for a lot of things. It's his job. But Zachary has started to develop a number of comics yep. that deal with D&D &D themes. They're kind of fun. We've posted some of those on Instagram. We've got uh, some of those on our YouTube channel as well. But we've also got some other ones that are only available on our um, coffee page. Coffee page. So if you want to see, if you like what he's doing and you want to see some more of those, you can go and see it behind the paywall at our coffee page. Yeah. For what? Two dollars? Two bucks. Two something dollars. like that. Um, so yeah, check out our coffee page. Check out the rest of our YouTube channel if you're listening. I mean, if you're there right now. Hi. How's it going? Uh, if you are listening on another podcast service, be sure to check out our YouTube channel, Instagram, website, all those good things. Lots of content. And we're going to be coming out with a lot more content this year for you yeah. guys. We've got a lot of good ideas and things that we're really excited to do. Um, and we've also got, we, we want to always put in a plug for, uh, our own products that we're selling. Absolutely. Again, we're not going to get rich off of them, but we do sell old warlock t-shirts, hoodies, cups, things like that. Whatever so. you please on the spreadsheet shop. All these links are available, uh, on whatever service you are using right now. We'll make them easily available to you guys. Yep. Uh, so just be sure to follow the links and explore around a little bit and see if you like what we do. And if you don't, well, that's okay too. That's all right. Um, but yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you liked it. Let us know all of your thoughts uh, on whatever form you like, as long as they're decently nice. Exactly. As long as you're nice to us, we will read them. If we surely will. If you're not, well, maybe not. But Anyway, I'm Jim. I'm Alex. Keep your sword on free. Bye-bye. I actually think that went quite well. I thought it was all right.